Hello and welcome to another episode of Race the Bottom with me, your host, Joe Harmon. This week's episode is an interview with Miguel Delaney, chief football writer of The Independent. Miguel has been writing extensively over the last couple of years regarding the sports watching aspect of football clubs being purchased by either government arms and now in this case with the Saudi Arabia proposed takeover of Newcastle United FC, an actual country purchasing a football club. The interview also covers aspects of the Twitter sphere and Twitter bots and sock puppets and their role in how I feel they can distort the narrative of situations like this. Before we go on to the interview, to give you an overview of why there has been an outcry of Saudi Arabia's takeover of Newcastle, Saudi Arabia is steeped in human rights abuses. It is an absolute monarchy with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman being the absolute ruler. Cases over the last few years have brought tremendous media attention, um, pretty much reaching a pinnacle where Jamal Khashoggi, who was a Saudi Arabian journalist uh, working for the Washington Post, was murdered whilst attending the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. This happened in October 2018. This isn't about singling out Newcastle United as a football club or as a fan base. It is a case of where do we go from here if we don't take a stand and if we don't raise issues about the purchase of a football club which at its very nature is a social institution and should be treated as so a community-based institution. If we don't speak up when situations like this occur, then there will be no barrier, there will be no recourse for future events. We don't know where football will go at present, but it is very important that we scrutinise these purchases and that goes for the myriad of nefarious owners and ownership models out there. And I believe that you can still love your club and be critical of the manner in which it conducts itself. I hope the interview is enjoyable. Um, please listen out afterwards for a little bit of an update with things that are going to be happening um, regarding another podcast in the future. Um, do enjoy the show. Here is the interview. Welcome to Race to the Bottom, Miguel Delaney, Chief Football Writer at The Independent. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Massive story that has been building for a period of time. The proposed and, and what's looking almost like a certainty takeover of Newcastle United via a what seems to be a kind of personal wealth fund. Maybe you can clarify that for the listeners, uh, Miguel, by Saudi Arabia. Yeah, it's, uh, it's basically Saudi Arabia's sovereign fund. So it is basically the state's investment fund. Where they and it's the centre of this uh, plan called Vision 20, 2030, which is essentially to, to try and diversify uh, the country's, uh, I suppose, economy beyond oil. Uh, and the key to that, of course, is suppose uh, sport. Uh, they've already they've seen success with Manchester City. I mean, Manchester City, it's 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 not with Abu Dhabi there. It's not just kind of as simple as a branding exercise, but ultimately it's and I. Sports watching is much more sophisticated than that. 
It's, mm. it's basically about their unquestioned integration to the West. And uh, the idea is basically, as so many human rights groups have put to me, to make them more palatable to do business with. And that's exactly what happened with, with Abu Dhabi and Manchester City, where basically the club has been almost the jumping off point to develop this construction empire in Manchester, uh, um, among other areas. So um, so I think that that's, that's a similar plan. With so this very much is the state. Yeah, there, should be, there should be no equivocation about that. And I'm, I'm actually surprised Saudi Arabia have been so direct, because with City there was a bit more separation between the actual the Abu Dhabi United group that bought the club and the state, whereas with, with, with Newcastle, it's just that, that isn't there. Do you think, Miguel, like perhaps it's emboldened, um, like you said, Saudi Arabia could have been smart. They could have set up like ADUG. They could have gone down that road, but they haven't. No one can argue that Saudi Arabia are going to own Newcastle United. And is it because, I don't know, have they looked at City and thought, despite all of the criticism that has been generated by people like yourself and people like Nick McGeehan highlighting the issues at hand here, nothing has stopped them from just catapulting themselves into like stratospheric wealth. Maybe they've taken a note out of their playbook. Uh, I don't know, to be honest. Um, I, I mean, a few people have put to me that there's a different structure of business and a different kind of um, approaches to business in between... Uh, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, they say there's, um, well, El Baghdadi said to me in a piece of it this week that there is basically a greater culture of uh, professionalization almost in the UAE. Um, and so why he actually sounded now with caution, this, this mightn't quite be the project that Manchester City have, that, that the Newcastle have. But yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Has it been something that surprised you going ahead during COVID-19 pandemic? Um, not really, I suppose. Uh, I mean, you know, one of the things that has been said by a lot of people is that because because of the pandemic, this mightn't get the scrutiny it should. Although it do, it does mean, I suppose, there's a vacuum of football news, which has made this maybe even bigger an issue. Whereas it would be easier to distract maybe if 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 it wasn't here. Then there's of course the economic effect, where the, like I mean, the price of oil has tanked. That it has been pointed that, that the Saudis have had issues with other investments. So maybe the timing is a little is a little surprising in that regard, but ultimately this has been it, it, from everything you hear, it's been in the running for about a year now, for over a year actually. Would you be able to give an overview of where they're currently at, like the takeover? Is it just a formality now, or is there still obstacles for the takeover to go through? Oh, so now um, it's basically all the paperwork is submitted, and it's it's basically just a case of passing the owner and director's test. Now that was expected to be a formality. I think the letter from, and there is an, a lot of international pressure from like Amnesty, Human Rights Watch, Fair Square, but I think the only real concern for those looking to push the deal through is probably um, the actual the letter from being sports. Being yeah. From 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 everything you hear, though, they still don't read. They, they still don't think that it's going to be enough to prevent it. Uh, the Premier League, no, it needs to be really a watertight legal case. I mean, and, and this is the thing. The uh, as. Fair Square outline in their letter uh, last night. The regulations actually are in place um, to prevent this, like in the existing Premier League uh, owner, owner and directors test. But that requires a very strict interpretation, uh, and I think it's unlikely that strict interpretation is going to be forthcoming. Interesting. With regards to the in sports, their argument was that there was the possibility of kind of a, a perceived threat to intellectual property. They kind of went down the route of not ethically, uh, they, they didn't challenge 
the takeover on an ethical side. They actually went down the kind of monetary financial side, yeah? Yeah, well, um, yeah, cool. and I mean, <laughs> it'd be a bit rich of a Qatar on stage. Yeah, yeah. Raise ethical concerns, which kind of, which opens another avenue to this. Uh, but yeah, but all, all that comes down to, and this really shows the kind of, the horrendous situation that football is in, because, I mean, that, that complaint's at the centre of what is an economic cold war between Qatar and the Gulf Alliance of Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia, where basically the Qatari station being sports has the, uh, the, the, the broadcasting rights for the Premier League in that area, uh, the Middle East and North Africa. And to totally circumvent this, I and mean, like, it's almost cartoonish what this is. But, but there's Saudi Arabia, there's a, there's a pirate station called Be Out Q, uh, which, which basically siphons off um, Be In Sports broadcasting. And so people can get it for free in Saudi Arabia. And, and obviously, given how much, how, how much the Premier League's growth and international reputation is built on broadcast, I mean, it's really, when, when they were looking to replace Richard Scudamore as chief executive, what they were looking for wasn't really kind of a, a traditional sporting chief executive in that sense but someone that knew how to basically tie TV deals together, which shows how important this is. So that, I think that's why this complaint from being sports is interesting, even if it also reflects just how problematic the game has become, that when, as Jonathan Liu wrote this week, broadcasting rights are more important than uh, human rights. Yeah, well, it seems, uh, reading the letter from Being Sports CEO and reading Kate Allen, who's the UK Director of Amnesty International, I just felt that by nature of where perhaps football is, the, the Being Sports would yield greater leverage if it was going to change anything, unfortunately, than Amnesty International's letter. Uh, and tying yeah. in with, with what, uh, what Jonathan was saying. Um, where are we at with governance of football then on a grander level, Miguel? What does this, you know, what does it mean now where... Saudi Arabia going to Newcastle, Qatari in sports investment and PSG. We've got City and ADUG. Um, where, where is governance at, in your opinion, with football? Uh, I feel this is a bit of a line in the sand moment. That I mean, this has been coming for some time. Uh, and as I wrote in a piece today, it would feel like the, the dark punchline the game was building up to for 30 years if a Qatari broadcasting complaint... Uh, <laughs> prevented a Saudi takeover. Uh, but I mean, like I wrote a big piece in February about, I mean, the, the game is basically internalized and, and taken on hyper-capitalism more than any other industry, arguably more than kind of international banking. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is kind of the ultimate representation of that, where no one has kind of said stop. Uh, and really this should be the point where someone says stop, where a state like Saudi Arabia, given every, I mean, even before you get to the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, yeah, or Khashoggi, yeah. um, the, the, the various human rights complaints it, it's, and, and even, actually even before you get to that the very idea that a state can own a football club is just it, it should be non-negotiable mm. Do you think there's any appetite for bodies to, to kind of fight back against this? My, my wonder is first whether there is a genuine appetite and then and then working beyond that but I'm not even sure if there is No, not really I mean even, even if you take the case of the Premier League the Premier League could he they could very easily vote for, in their regulations, to have some sort of ethical clause uh, to prevent takeovers like this. But that would require uh, a, a majority of 14 out of 20. And that's probably not going to happen because ultimately everyone wants to be able to sell to the highest bidder. Newcastle fans, you know, by nature, they must feel overjoyed by the fact that Ashley's gone. I've, I've got yeah. a good friend, uh, 
I texted him and, and he was just bowled over. Ashley's gone and could not wait to get in amongst it with, with the big boys, with the backing and saw no criticism or no issues with perhaps the ownership model. What's your experience of where those groups of fans within the Newcastle kind of fan framework are? Well, I, I, I mean, I can't speak for the area. I did a piece on Wednesday uh, where I, taught, I spoke to prominent fans, one from the uh, Newcastle United Supporters Trust, Greg Tomlinson, and two from uh, the podcast True Faith, or Norman Riley and Alex Hurst. Um, uh, Greg, Greg was speaking with his uh, trust hat on, so he just had to basically relay their position which essentially they can't get involved. They have to be a neutral body because they have to be the link between the supporters and the uh, the club. Now, we did fairly say that uh, Newcastle fans uh, shouldn't bear responsibility for who buys the club because that's kind of absurd that they have no say in it, which is absolutely true. Uh, Norman said he was conflicted about it, but he he will engage in uh, activity. He thought he was, uh, it was hypocritical. And Alex was very honest and said he should be conflicted, but he isn't. He's quite excited. Uh, one fa- one supporter, prominent supporter, who didn't want to be named, but did speak off the record, was basically almost in tears, uh, irritated by the, uh, well not irritated, he was very down about the fan reaction online, which is basically loads of people with Saudi flags, pictures of Mohammed bin Salman. Mm. Um, but, but I think it is important to remember that's just a minority online, even if it is quite a sizable minority. I mean, we're talking from the numbers I can see into the thousands, which is a significant tranche of the fan base. I'd say yeah. the majority are more complicated. And I, I mean, I get what Greg was saying and that fans obviously uh, don't bear responsibility for, the, for who buys the club. And Alex said something similar. But there is another dimension to this. Obviously, no one's holding responsible for who buys the club. But the reason the club is being bought by states like Saudi Arabia, or we say the same with Manchester City and Abu Dhabi, is because they want to use the emotional power of the fans. Do you think that's a deliberate thing that, that they look at? Like the emotive state of Newcastle fan base at the moment, emotionally void of anything for all of Mike Ashley's tenure and on a path of least resistance level. There's not much resistance there because they've had it so bad. I almost wondered with City, it was slightly different. They're always in the shadow of United and they had perhaps an inferiority complex with Man United being so dominant for so long. And there was like that, that path of least resistance there. Do you know what I mean in that sense? Yeah, uh, and I, I mean, also, the, the one thing with, uh, with with City as well, and this is why it's different with Newcastle, A, when, I, when that takeover initially happened, I think there was a bit of naivety about the football world. There was kind of a wonder what's actually happening. And it's only kind of really belatedly that it's kind of been displayed, and, and particularly through the work of Nick McGeehan, uh, that, that, of what exactly this is, which is a state project. Mm. Uh, and so but we don't have that excuse with Newcastle. We're, we're fully briefed going in. And Saudi Saudi Arabia is uh, it's got an even worse human rights record than than uh, than the UAE, even though they are allies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, I mean, I mean, in in all of this, through, throughout discussions with Newcastle fans online, um, particularly the angriest, my mind just keep, I don't know if you've watched The Sopranos, but my mind keeps coming back to it. There's an there's an episode in the third series where Tony Soprano's wife Carmela goes to a, a, a psychiatrist to discuss her own issues and basically, ultimately, her guilt over being married to a prominent member of the Mafia. And at the very end, he, the, 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 the psychiatrist, he basically doesn't let her, let her off the hook at all, so you have to make your peace. And then after a, really, after a real dressing down, he uses the line, you can't say you weren't told, which, yeah. is, which is what I feel with this, basically. 
Mm. Uh, and, and there is obviously there are complications to this. I mean, there's the issue of kind of you know whether you go despite your reservations, you know, whether you, is it an act of defiance as well to keep going to a club even though you 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 because ultimately the owners aren't the club. And I think that is true, but uh, I don't think it's good enough at the very very least to relish what this means because what because even if there is say some sort of mass splurge of transfers and all this. There's a hollowness to it because of what it represents and what, and what the intention, what the deeper intention behind it really is. And yeah, because I always think Germany has like an amazing fan connection to protests and active factions of, of Bayern Munich fans actively and, and have forever protests about things that they feel that's wrong. And like you said, you can be a supportive fan and still cast question marks over, over the ownership. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean you love your club any less either. Exactly. In fact, to be honest, I think it displays you love your club even more because mm. it, because it's beyond the superficialities of success, which I know, and I know, I know that sounds a bit glib given the point of sport is competition and all that. But the point of clubs is deeper than that because they have they're not just entities that compete; they're basically entities of social representation. They have a genuine yeah. social value. In in many towns around Britain, they're often the only social hub left. So I think it's it's it, it's a it's a great love for the club to actually. To go to go the distance on this and to be appalled at the idea that your club, the club that represents you, could ultimately be appropriated by by a state with these intentions and this record. It's not going to be prevented, Miguel. It's it's going to go ahead. I, I'd, um, be, yeah, I'd be very skeptical as to whether it whether it. <laughs> Maybe another Richard Keys outpouring might might mm. sway it. Do you think that there's a way back for it? I, I'm talking in hypothetical. Football's been pushed to this point so far. You know, you talked about line being drawn in the sand. Could be a moment where there is real appetite for change because we're at this end game of what football looks like now. I mean, an issue is ultimately the show is too seductive. Uh, and I think it will hasten the move to football. And actually, I think coronavirus will be influential in this as well. It will hasten the move of football towards eventually, not, not any time in the immediate future, but some sort of NFL Super League between European clubs uh, because I mean, I mean, to be, to, the one thing I would say, to be fair as well, for Newcastle fans is, we, we should also be looking at the institutional issues in the game as well, the lack of protection for this. Um, but yeah, this is this is where it's headed. Miguel, I want to talk a, a little bit on not necessarily not the abuse that you get on Twitter, but yesterday, Marco and Jones uh, marked us a lot on the social disinformation side, and and he did a thread on the explosion of Newcastle. Um, fan accounts that have popped up and very clearly are sock puppet accounts. Um, listeners, if they're aware, like it's just coming to the forefront with, I think, part of sections of the government being accused of, of having kind of fake uh, Twitter accounts that are made to very much give the the impression that it is a, a true account. Uh, Mark broke down uh, two accounts that he, he had observed come up over the last week or so, both giving the impression that they were uh, British accounts. And it was very clear that these were not Emily and Kate. I can't remember what the, the girls' accounts were. Um, but, but fake accounts set up to set up for what reason? And the only reason I can kind of see is to kind of em, embolden uh, a, perhaps a, a pro-Saudi narrative. That's not very naive here. We're talking about a disinformation centre of the world. Yeah. Which is the I mean that that's part that's part of these proxy wars, uh, and and there's been similarly suspicious behaviour related to uh, Abu Dhabi uh, and, and and debate over Manchester City. 
Uh, I mean, there's one particularly notorious account on Twitter which basically suddenly cropped up and exploded in activity the day after the cup final, uh, where where basically discussion of the Yemen war start, starts appearing in, in FA Cup final reports, which obviously they wouldn't want because the association with City is meant to be a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, 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 I don't think Abu Dhabi would particularly like mention of the Yemen war coming up in relation to their football team. Uh, but this, 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 this is the reality. And yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't think we should be naive to this. Again, we're talking about the disinformation centre of the world. And someone has just been pointed out to me, literally as we're talking, I got a text message here saying, a new low today with Newcastle fans abusing Jamal Khashoggi's wife on Twitter. Thankfully, a majority of responses met with Newcastle fans responding, calling them out, but a sad state of affairs. Yeah, because what, I, what I'm finding is, is it seems to be, like you said, a large base of these sock puppet accounts that drive this narrative to an extent. What role do you think they play, not necessarily on, on someone like yourself who is a, uh, aware that they are there and they are there for a reason? What about the role that they play with actual the, the club's fan base? It just, it just dilutes discussion, doesn't it? And it, and it gives... I mean, if fans are naturally, like, let's be fair, fans are naturally going to respond emotionally to criticism of the takeover. I mean, because these are uncomfortable truths that probably do take a little bit to rationalise. And rather than rationalising, then suddenly, because of accounts like this, if there's all this ammo provided to respond and dilute the argument and ensure, rather than discussing the, the actual issue at hand or discussing the, the so-called hypocrisy of journalists and all the rest of it. Yeah. The perpetual whataboutery is what yeah, exactly. um, seems to have just become the baseline for distorting any sort of narrative. Miguel, I, I won't hold your time any longer. I just want to say a massive thanks. Those who don't know, Miguel Delaney, Chief Football Writer at The Independent. Uh, he's on Twitter, Miguel Delaney. All the best, mate. Take care. Yes, mate. Thank you. Have a good one. Just wanted to say thank you again to Miguel for giving me the time to speak to him. I do hope you enjoyed the interview. Um, as always, Race to the Bottom is mostly on Twitter, occasionally on Facebook. If you would like to leave me any feedback, greatly appreciated. Um, podcast is available on all regular podcast platforms. And please subscribe and share. Some exciting news for the future. There is going to be a collective a football podcast that I am uh, being involved in which will be out in the not so distant future keep it under wraps but very exciting times those of you who are involved at the moment know who you are um, looking forward to what that's going to become so do keep your ears out listeners all seven of you take care and thanks for listening listening to